Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange with Leander Young, where we dig into conversations with seasoned musicians to discuss their life, art, and the faith of jazz as they see it. In this episode, we interview a composer, arranger, and saxophonist from Cleveland, Ohio, Matthew Alec. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Improv Exchange. Today we have Matthew from the Cleveland scene. Sir, thank you for joining us. Please tell the people about yourself. Yeah, so uh, thanks for having me. And uh, I'm a uh, saxophonist um, and music producer and uh, uh, owner of a late, new late, newer label, Cleveland Time Records, in the Cleveland area. Um, that's still kind of in its infancy, I suppose, but it's starting to grow. Um, and uh, so that's me. I've been uh, at it actually for a long time now, a um, couple decades. Um, and uh, I started my own group uh, about four years ago, I think. And um, that's been my main focus these last couple of years. So last few years. Okay. Well, first thing I need to ask, because I don't really know much about the Cleveland sound or the Cleveland <laughs> jazz scene. Sure. Yeah, is, mm-hmm. how big it has a small. Guys? Yeah, yeah, it's it's got a small tight knit community. Very talented, lots of talent here. Um, some very nice performance spaces, but not a lot. Um, so um, you have um, uh, the Bob Stop downtown, uh, which uh, my my latest album is uh, live from the Bob Stop, uh, which is a great great venue. Um, there is uh, Blue Jazz in downtown Akron, which is uh, south of Cleveland. Um, I always looked at Akron as like a giant suburb of Cleveland. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and uh, there's Baldur's Lounge on the west side and Music House. So there's in Jilly's Music Room. I play there quite a bit. That's also in Akron. Uh, so there's, there's a handful of venues that are uh, nice, great places, but there aren't as many as some other cities. Um, and to me, that's probably driven by... Um, the fact that Ohioans are not, I th- Ohioans go out on Friday and Saturday, you know, and like they're not out on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you know, as a matter of course, for the most part. So it's harder, I think, for people to go out and see music. Um, and I think that's why there's less venues here than there probably needs to be. But there's a great, lots of, um, lots of great artists um, and lots of schools, lots and lots of big schools. Wait, what's the um, question then? Besides yeah. jazz, how many other venues are there? Are there a lot more? Oh yeah, there's a there's a lot of music venues or or restaurants and whatnot that have music. They don't all have jazz though. That's the thing. Okay. Um, I think that the predominant music um, here is probably rock, rock, and just you know, Blossom Music Center is here, which is huge. Um, yeah, the Q downtown has you know, big, big acts. Right. But, um, local stuff, um, you know, I think rock is probably the, the main crowd, you know, okay. thing here in Cleveland, which, you know, it is what it is. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Thing over there. So that makes yep. sense. Okay. Sure. And if it makes you feel any better, which it might not, uh, there are not that mm-hmm. many spots left in New York for people to perform. Oh, that's yeah. sad. That makes me sad. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to hear that. Um, 
And uh, actually, I'm going to be in New York City, not playing, um, just visiting uh, in a few weeks. But um, hopefully I'll make it out to New York to play. I, I used to, my old group used to play out in New York City at a place called Arlene's Grocery quite a bit. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, that's still open. Yes. It is it? Yeah, cool. Maybe I'll make it out back out over there. They were pretty inviting of um So where did you get your degree out, in so. everything else? Uh, yeah, I studied music at Kent State, um, Kent State University. Uh, that's... Kent, Ohio, which is um, about 20 minutes outside Akron um, and maybe about 40 minutes southeast of Cleveland. Um, nice university, fairly large, about 30,000 people. Um, decent music program. And that was, uh, I graduated in 2007. Uh, my focus was in classical music. So I, uh, they did not have a jazz degree. They actually do now, but they didn't at the time, even though I'm a jazz and pop player, but... Um, but my degree is in classical, so go figure. Okay, understood. So mm -hmm. have you studied anywhere else or just in uh, Ohio? Nope, just in Ohio. I, I did. So I did um, uh, attend uh, the inside-outside retreat um, that was at Victor Wooten's camp um, for two different years. Uh, that That's uh, sort of a, um, I don't know how to describe it, a, a prestigious little camp for like pro saxophone players that that I know you left. I, I had friends that laughed too. Like you're going to band camp. <laughs> That's so cute. <laughs> oh yeah. But uh, so um, yeah, but uh, it was, it really is a wickedly cool experience. And that was um, uh, a week long. I did that two different times, but that's Bob Reynolds, uh, Bob Franciscini, um, Joshua Redman came, um, Chris Potter came, Kirk Whalum came. Um, so, you know, just huge, huge, huge heavy hitters, uh, and get to spend time with these people, learn from them, take classes with them, play in front of them, play with them. Uh, I played with Victor Wooten in his band, um, I think three different times gave a performance, which was really cool. Um, super nice dude. Um, uh, he, <laughs> they do, they even do like, uh, there's camp stuff too. If anybody's not familiar, if you're not familiar, uh, Victor Wooten owns this huge campground. It's, uh, south of Nashville mm -hmm. by about, uh, 30 minutes. Um, and, uh, it's not far from civilization, but it's far enough that it is, um, very secluded. And he's got many, many acres there and he's got like this nature, this nature preserve basically. Um, and he gets a lot of ba uh, base camps that he holds there, but this was actually was you know, a saxophone thing. Yes. Okay. Uh, Future man. He was there too, playing kit. Um, super, super, uh, out there person, <laughs> but yeah. very nice, very, very, very nice, but out very there. out there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but they played, a, they had, they laid down some wicked uh, rhythm section stuff for us, so, um, and super nice too, but they give, um, they did like uh, nature stuff too, so uh, he gave us a lesson on, Victor gave us a lesson on tracking, and he actually picked me up on his back and carried me across a sand pit. <laughs> yeah, ah, that, yeah right. it's pretty right. funny, right? Yeah, so. How did that uh, so happen now? That, so, wait, he's so, were you playing while he did this? No, no. Okay. That was uh, that was a separate that was a separate day. Um, during the day, um, he w he has like a sand pit outside, and he wants to show people what tracking is out in the woods and how you can track people, like look for things, look for clues and whatnot. It was kind of neat, um, but he to give himself extra weight, he had like the the group of us that that were there with him. Uh, they had everybody else turn around. And he grabbed me and he pulled me up on his back so that I put in, you know, more impression into the sand when he walked across. Um, and so uh, 
I, I can't, you know, who knows? So then he had everybody else turn around and um, look at the tracks, you know, and he's like, what can you, what do you, what is, what does anyone think about this? You know? So yeah, it was, it was pretty, it was a pretty cool experience. Um, is he a hunter? Yeah. That I don't know about? Yeah, he's a he's a big nature dude. I don't know. I don't know what all he does, to be honest. Okay. Um, but uh, he's super. He's super into nature. Um, he's all. He's very chill and down to earth. Um, but he's also a little bit out there. You know, not as much as his brother, but a little bit out there. So I mean, I didn't know he was doing that, but that's a good story. <laughs> yep. Yeah, indeed. So that's one of those things. One of those things in life you never thought you were gonna do. So. Okay, uh, so also on that matter, <laughs> yep. how did you form your band? Because you finished oh. uni. What were you doing before that? And yeah. what led to the band being formed? Yeah, so uh, uh, out of Kent State. So at Kent State, I was with a bunch of, uh, a few friends, a good friend of mine, Maurice Martin, who was a vocalist, who was a vocal major there at Kent. And we started this uh, band called Winslow that, um, uh, that was sort of the beginning of, any type of professional music career. Um, and uh, it was first, it was a soul cover band. We did Stevie Wonder, Ray Charles covers, stuff like that. And then that had a few different different iterations and we changed the name to Winslow. And um, we actually had a couple of record contracts and we uh, toured and um, went down to South by Southwest. And so we released a couple of records, um, which were pretty good. Uh, uh, Bernie Worrell was on the first record. Uh, and um, the second record, uh, a big engineer uh, by the name of Nick Chawala uh, mixed some of the tracks for us. Um, and uh, uh, Tony Edwin Nicholas was a producer on one of them um, who, who he worked with Jared Levert for a lot of years. So um, so it, I, I was really proud of those records. Um, the band went on for like 10 years. And then one day it broke up. <laughs> and so uh, it, it was it was kind of sucked for me because I, um, I didn't, that's all I was doing, you know? Um, and so I didn't, I didn't know where to go and I didn't have a lot of connections anymore. And so I was in the scene in Akron and, um, I joined a, let's see, what was it? Uh, a, um, James Brown tribute band. And, um, it was really, they were good. Uh, some real good cats, good musicians. Um, and, um, uh, he's pretty much retired now. It was an older cat who did the James Brown thing. It was a good group. Um, but out of that band, I met some dudes. And, um, you know, I was talking to some of them. Like, look, uh, I'm a huge Brecker Brothers fan. Like, I've always wanted to do a jazz fusion act. Like, why don't we do it? And so they were like, yeah, all right. And I wasn't really intent for being, you know, being a band later, per se. I just wanted to put a band together. And, um, and it just, I just wound up doing all the work and I already knew how to do a lot of stuff as far as managing and stuff. So I started to do it. And then I started to get all these ideas about, you know, recordings and records and, um, and it just snowballed. It snowballed over the course of, you know, like three or four years. And I built everything pretty much from the ground up. Uh, and now, now, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's starting really starting to take off the last year or so. And ne this year is going to be really, really busy. My schedule's starting to absolutely fill up. So, um, I can barely, this is the, this is the third interview I've given over the last two days. <laughs> so saying, I honestly, I'm sort of really starting to pick. Yeah. I don't know. I guess. What a horrible, so that, what a horrible I, problem you have. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I don't know. So things are really starting to blow up and, um, uh, so I, I'm, a, I'm grateful and um, I'm, I'm happy about that. Um, but I, you know, three years ago, would I, you know, 
I had no idea. So there you go. Okay. So mm-hmm. you just released the live album, and you told me like, yep. before we started, you have one coming out. Please tell me about both of those albums. Oh, so the uh, the first record was not a live album. The first record was a studio album, uh, Cleveland Time, um, which um, was uh, mostly stuff that I wrote. Um, and then I, my pianist, Brian Woods, who's also a great vocalist, uh, wrote the one track, Baby, You Got Me. And then, um, uh, let's see, Steven Sanders, uh, the old timer in the band. Uh, he, I joke because he looks like Santa Claus. Uh, he... Um, he uh, uh, wrote the one sort of Steely Dan kind of inspired tune. But aside from that, it was all stuff that I had been writing the last like two or three years. Um, the one track that I think brought a lot of success to the record called Blues from McCoy, which is sort of my um, sort of homage to John Coltrane and McCoy Tyner. Um, that I wrote in college, mostly. The, there's an ostinato on it, a bass part that... Um, uh, I wrote not long before we recorded it, which I actually think brought the whole re- the whole song together. But the the melody and the chords and everything was stuff that I wrote back in college. Um, so they they were sort of vignettes of ideas um, that I finished uh, partially right before we recorded and partially in the studio itself. Um, but it, it all came together, and I was really happy with. Um, I I used probably the best engineer and studio that cleveland has at least as far as a younger guy is concerned mm-hmm. um and uh uh i took out a small loan basically to pay for it it was a it was an investment that was the way i looked at it oh two um, things on that okay <laughs> yeah first thing yeah okay how do you normally write your music do you write it off a piano do you write it off your sax what do you normally do both um so uh, melodies um just come to me at all hours of the day and night. Uh, I have a treasure trove of melodies just sitting on my phone and uh, uh, in Dropbox, I'll be just roaming around the bookstore and something will pop in my ear and I don't want to forget it. So I hum it into my phone, Uh, just (laughs) walking around an aisle, you know, Uh, it's not done that before. And, I'll revisit them um, later on. So like, oh, and some of them I'm like, ah, no, that's trash. And I just trash it. And then other ones are like, oh, yeah, that's a keeper. Damn, I forgot all about that. And um, uh, so I already have uh, like three more albums pretty much kind of like I call them vignettes, like their ideas, melodies, um, and some of them need to be put together. Some of them I were sitting on saxophone playing and an idea will just strike me um, and I'll record that. Um, so all of that, um, sometimes on piano chords, I always write at the piano pretty much. Um, so if I have a melody, um, then I sit down at the piano and I figure out the chords for it. Um, other stuff too, like give what you take was the funk sort of commercial funk tune on the studio album. And, um, I didn't write any chords for that at all. I just wrote the melody and I started playing it in rehearsal and i knew the band would i mean it's like two chords i knew the band would know what it is <laughs> so i didn't write any chords for that at all so every song is just a little bit different and then sometimes you write three quarters of a song you know you need another part and sometimes i stew on that for like weeks or like months before it finally just 
comes together. I'm like, oh, that's what it is. That's what it needs. So uh, all of that, I don't know. So all, um, but for me, the melody is always first, always comes first. And then everything else, you know, you figure out later. And sometimes a band member or, you know, Brian Woods, my pianist, uh, usually always has a say in how the arrangement comes together. So um, I might ask him for an idea if he, if I can't figure it out. So, okay. And another thing I want to ask, because this is something that especially mm-hmm. I think older people don't fully understand because they like to say there's no young people in jazz. You took out a mm-hmm. loan to do the album. Respect mm-hmm. to you on that. A lot of people mm-hmm. just save or get a group bonding, like group put pile mm-hmm. to put many together to make an album. Mm-hmm. What made you actually go that route? Um, it was the easiest and I didn't mind doing it. <laughs> I, okay. uh, uh, I, my guys don't have a lot of money per se. I mean, well, a couple of them are doing all right now, I think, but you know, um, I don't want to make them feel bad, but I, I don't, I don't know. They're not financially, you know, super well off. I, I not to say, you know, uh, but, um, I don't know. I didn't want to, I didn't want to ask that burden of them, you know, and for me, even though. I, I kind of, so the Matthew Alec and the soul electric thing is kind of like a hybrid. It's, it's kind of like a, uh, it's kind of like a band and it's kind of like just a, in jazz roots, you know, I mean, the Brecker brothers, every tour they did, they had a different lineup pretty much. I, and I, my group has very much been that way. The first like year or two, there was basically the same band, but, um, like Leon, the one drummer for Leon Penault from the first re- record, I haven't talked to him in months. I've been using two other drummers. Um, so, um, and and I probably will play with him again too at some point. I, I don't know, but um, so different guys come in and out. Corey Conway, who's a big part of the live album, um, wasn't involved with the first album at all. He's a great guitarist and sort of blues vocalist um, and a younger guy. Um, and he played on the live album um, and he might be on the next record. I don't know. Okay, I get you on that. <laughs> so you see, you see what I'm saying? So um, I, I it it. I didn't want to lean on anybody. Um, no, no. In that case, it makes you know? sense. But mm-hmm. okay, but what year did yeah. the first one come out? The first album you put out by yourself? That was last year. That was the beginning of last year. Oh, we recorded brave. during the pandemic. <laughs> um, yeah, and then we released it in 2021, and it, it kind of stinks because it really derailed any touring or anything or any um, runouts to. I mean, I really want to do more runouts to other cities, which I'm hoping. Um, it, actually looks like it's starting to happen now, but, uh, the pandemic really derailed a lot of that. So, um, anybody financing an album on their own like that after Mm -hmm. I want to say 2018 is really like, I don't want to say proud of this stuff, but really motivated Mm -hmm. to get their stuff out because yeah, yeah. Album sales went through this toilet. (laughs) That's the way, nice way of putting it. And when you yeah, stream, they, you're they not making did. money off that. No, that's true. The the only thing that I maybe regret, and I, I don't I don't regret it, but I printed vinyl um, from that album, um, and they look real slick and they're real nice. There's a company called Got a Groove Records here in Cleveland that presses um, a lot of the national um, uh, records that get pressed. Uh, so they're a big company. Um, but they pressed mine, I pressed 500 copies and it was expensive, you know, 
I think it was like uh, close to $3,000, I think. So, yeah, so, and I, I have sold some of them. And when they do sell, I mean, you know, $20, $30 a record, you know. Um, so that's nice. And maybe um, I'm, I pretty much will always have those. So as we start um, touring more, um, they do sell at shows, which is nice. But I still have quite a few um you know like 400 copies yeah much. so I, I, that's the one that i uh, was you know a, a price tag that i um yeah i could have gone either way on you know you see what i'm saying but um but i don't regret it i mean it's great how many people have vinyl so it is pretty well, neat that was um, something that got me upset way before the pandemic mm -hmm. happened people saying vinyl's making a comeback i'm like when you go from yeah. selling five copies to 10 copies it looks like it's a comeback <laughs> but yeah, yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I don't know. I, I may not press the, the the live album is not being pressed, uh, mm -hmm. even though it, it is a fun album. I kind of like it. Um, but um, oh, and I should mention one other thing about both the studio album and this um, and this live album. Um, Tom Bones Malone, who uh, are you familiar with him? Have you heard his name? Yeah, I do. Yeah, but yeah. You, you can yeah, tell Yeah, sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, cool. He's um listeners out there you probably already know him um but of course he's from the blues brothers he's been the blues brothers band um he was actually the main impetus behind the blues brothers forming aside from um uh dan Aykroyd and john belushi of course um he was the first person they went to when they needed to form the band uh and it was his decision making as to other guys who he brought in to form the fill out the band. So obviously it came out of Center Night Live, but then um during those years he also became the Center Night Live musical director. Um and the other cool thing about him, and a lot of people don't know unless you like, you know, read up, uh, he did all kinds of cool stuff. He went on tour with um Blood, Sweat and Tears. Um he went on tour with Frank Zappa several times. Um, he had a band with Michael Brecker. Um, he was he worked with David Sanborn a bunch. Um, he's done all all kinds of cool stuff. Um, and so, through social media, I got to be friendly with him. Friends, I don't know, friendly. And I emailed him the one day, and I was like, "Hey, here's unfinished stuff from my album that's going to be coming out. Do you want to lay something down?" And uh, he actually said yes. And he's like, this sounds great. Yep, I would love to. And uh, it worked out. And he wound up recording horn parts and um, uh, trombone solo on the title track. Uh, you know, it just isn't in his home studio. And he dropped boxes stuff to us. But then after the record came out, um, I started uh, just staying in touch, exchanging emails. I only ever talked to him through email uh, during that time. But um, you know, I started whispering in his ear, like, hey, why don't you come to Cleveland? Why don't you come to Cleveland? Uh, we'll play a show and I'll I'll have it recorded and we'll do a live album. And uh, uh, he finally we worked out a date, took a while. And um, he came and played this past February um, uh, right after the enormous blizzard that hit the East Coast. <laughs> he was actually the very last plane into Cleveland. Um, the very very last one i got him as the as the blizzard was starting that wednesday uh, i picked him up and we and it was a small miracle he got here but uh and we played a show at the bop stop here in cleveland and um it turned out really nice and uh it's totally different than the studio album um we did some blues brothers cuts we did some soul jazz standards um 
and uh, uh, had a huge, huge band. Uh, it was like a 10 piece band for the recording, very Blues Brothers, you know, and that was kind of the idea. Um, and uh, I'm, they're not perfect. It's a live album, you know, um, and we mixed it. Uh, same guy, Jim Stewart, uh, the engineer from the first album, mixed it. Um, and, you know, live albums, you, you fix them, you make them sound good, you know, uh, they're, it's good for a live album, I think, but it's not perfect. I like perfect. I hear little things, little things. I don't think it's as, of... as a perfect live <laughs> performance. No, no, maybe not. But that's what I like. So, um, so it's tough for me to listen to at spots. I'm just being real. Um, but it's live. So, um, I've gotten good reception from it thus far. Um, and uh, the people that listened to it have really liked it. Tom really liked it, I think. Um, so I, that I, you know, so album number two is coming out. It's December 2nd and uh, just digital, all the digital stores. Um, and then there's, um, uh, I think it's seven tracks in the album. So six of the seven have uh, the live video too, that we did. That'll be out on my YouTube channel. Two of them are already out. So, okay. No, that's cool, man. And what, yeah, uh, yeah, what is right. is it more behind the scenes? Is it just you guys recording and video? Is it more? Nope. It it is um it is us playing live. Um, okay. uh, had uh, two cameras there, um, recording, and then he edited it down, and I gave him I gave him the uh, uh, actual audio tracks from the from the album itself, mm -hmm. and um, yeah, so that that's what it is, and. Um, yeah, they're they're fun to watch. I think uh, I'm fairly proud of it. I think it turned out pretty nice. So, cool, man. I mean, a lot of people find music from YouTube, if not the streaming platforms now. So mm -hmm. I like that approach. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, man. Yeah. Okay, so the first time you left Cleveland and actually performed on the road, what was the biggest shock you faced? Oh boy, um, I don't know. I don't remember. <laughs> it's been a long time ago. Um, I try to think uh, by uh, this band has this band has left the state a handful of times now or a couple let's see we've done New Orleans um, two different times now um, and we're gonna be doing it looks like we're doing uh, Miami Beach um, in January which is gonna be fun um, we're at, um, I'm trying know. to Winslow was on the road a lot um, a lot and i don't remember the first time we left i don't know but i can't there are some certainly some standouts um i just remember uh we did we did pittsburgh a lot we did new york city uh we were doing new york city a couple times a year we we're doing chicago a couple times a year uh we did some big festivals um well, no, that's Columbus. That's in state. <laughs> uh, we uh, we did we did do it. Uh, we went down to Miami as well. We played Tobacco Road in Miami. Um, so we 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 grown up quite a bit. I standouts for me were Miami Beach and South by Southwest. Uh, we actually drove down South by South by Southwest and did a mini tour for that. Um, I just remember fun. I don't remember anything bad or anything surprising. I, for the most part. Um, I do have one funny story. I remember when we did Florida, um, okay. there, there were cockroaches on stage with us, uh, running around. Uh, it was, it was what a very, very special, uh, that was Edgewater, Florida. Okay. Um, I will never forget that show. Um, and the funny thing about it was, so 
in between solos, our guitar player, Neil, um, Neil Campbell, uh, he was trying to step on the cockroaches as they ran across the, you know, the stage uh, in between his solos, <laughs> which that was fun. I, I, one thing, though, about that show, there weren't a lot of people there. Uh, it was very sparsely attended, but man, the people were there were absolutely digging, absolutely digging what we were doing. So um, sometimes it's not about the number. It's about uh, the spirit, you know, so. Okay, okay. I don't so know. New York versus Cleveland in jazz. Your opinion of it. Your pros oh, and cons. Um, yeah, I mean, oh boy. And yeah, oh. New York City. I guess there's there's not much of a comparison there just because okay, what do you is, hate about the uh, New York scene? Uh yeah. Um I think just the uh I think more than anything is probably the um sort of st sometimes standoffish attitude with people you can be perceived sometimes I think but um I think so sometimes just people are sort of heavy and um very very serious all the time and like I don't know maybe that's not an Ohio thing I don't know but um I just don't think it's always called for or necessary just because um, you know, I take everything I do to, very seriously and like I approach my work very seriously and I work really hard, but that doesn't mean like I joke and I laugh and I, you know, like that doesn't mean that I'm not serious about my music. Was this during uh, a jam session or just, it, just, just in general? Okay, I don't that's know. more like I, a jam session. I agree with you. People yeah, come in yeah. there trying to impress the whole world. Yeah, yeah, right. That's certainly the thing. And like, I just don't, I don't get that. To me, like, um, uh, shit, if you don't know a tune or you can't play a tune or shit, I don't know it in that key, man. It's okay. The world is not going to end. We don't have to like hate or, or hate each other or judge each other for that. I mean, um, I don't know. I just think uh, there, there are bigger problems in the world to worry about that. And um, it doesn't mean that... Um, it doesn't mean that um, we have to be like mean, mean to each other. It's just silly to me. I don't know. Does that make sense? No, I that makes you know sense where to I'm me, going with that. But so, yeah. I, like I said, I have <laughs> a love hate relationships for jam sessions. Sure, but it, sure. We yeah. don't see yeah, as yeah. many now because a lot of those places closed. No, we have them here. Uh, there's actually some really nice ones here. Uh, Blue Jazz has, um, they used to do two times a week. Um, now they do one, um, and Blue Jazz in downtown Akron is a great club. Um, and uh, the Bop Stop in Cleveland, I've not been to theirs in a long time, but they do one, I believe, once a week now. Um, and there used, there's a number of them around, too. Jazz, blues, everything, uh, rock, pop, all of the above. Um I like them. I don't like to do them a ton, um, but I like to do them here and there. And they, they can be a lot of fun. Um, but you get you get somebody with like that sort of jive attitude and it kind of puts okay. a damper on things. <laughs> and that, I'm talking about Cleveland right now, but man, yeah, New York, sure. I don't know. Okay. So where do you think jazz would be in 10 years? Because... Just evolving, changing. I, um, I think... There, I maybe it's just my perception, and maybe it's what I listen to. I am not uh, somebody who listens to all the latest pop music. I like pop music here and there, you know. And there's certain artists I try to watch for and 
but I'm probably not up on it like as much as I should be, uh, you know. Um, but I hear more jazz elements in pop music the last few years, maybe, than I had in some years prior, maybe 20 years ago. Uh, more horn, uh, more horn section stuff, um, and um, which I like is cool. That's not jazz, but uh, my, my point in that is um, I think that there's, I think there's just, just be more iterations of of jazz in in the music that's out there. I uh, swing, jazz, hard bop. Um, of course, that's going to continue. There's always going to be people doing that. Um, I'm planning a hard bop record in a couple of years, um, and um, that's great. But I, it's not going to sell. There's not going to be a huge audience out there for it, and I don't think that's going to change. And I don't know if there's anything wrong with that. That's uh, just, it is what it I is. I would like to see it more in the limelight, but don't be one sure. of those jazz artists that lose track of the reality yeah. of the music world. Sure, sure. I, and I mean, there's nothing like, hard bop is my, probably my favorite music. Um, but um, I don't know that it's going to change that we're going to see some huge resurgence of it. Uh, I could be wrong. I mean, I'm hoping, I hope I'm wrong, but uh, I do think that the fusion will continue, and I think that that there um, will be a lot more of that sort of, you know, jazz-inspired sounds. I mean, look at the uh, the success of Snarky Puppy, for instance. You know, um, uh, Bob Reynolds, who uh, I got to know pretty well there, um, and they're they're awesome, you know, and like they're extremely popular. Corey Wong is also extremely popular now and he's doing, you know, funk, I guess, funk, jazz. Um, and it's like that fusion thing. And I think that that's something that um, will continue. And I think that that audience will continue. So, uh, and in a good way. So I don't know. I like fusion, obviously. My I love fusion. fusion. I know. And yeah, I agree yeah. with Snorka Puppy. That seems to be yeah. now the more... I mean, Downbeat gave them best group of the year recently. No, right on. Yeah, cool. I didn't know that, but I'm not. It's not surprising. They're they're tremendously talented. So, and they're so um, diverse. Every song's completely different, um, and I love that. I love the fact that you can't categorize them. Um, it's like, oh, it's fusion, but are they? I mean, sometimes they're world music. Sometimes they're just kind of weird. Sometimes it's pop, you know, and like every song is just some different, you know, um, color and it's just whatever they're writing and feeling and they go with it. And um, I like that. That's cool to me. Um, so uh, more power to that. So. Okay. And what could you tell us about the jazz artists coming up in Cleveland? Oh yeah. There's, um, yeah, there's a lot of great players. Yeah. Um, I, uh, it's funny to me because uh, I guess I'm starting to get old and I didn't even realize it. <laughs> I look young, but I'm almost 40. So the, uh, um, uh, although a lot of people tell me that I'm hitting my sweet spot now, it's like, you're a jazz artist. You're, you're like young for a jazz artist, right? I'm like, oh shit, I guess that's, uh, that's true. another bad stereotype. Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but there are so um, um, I don't haven't met everybody. And the other weird thing is about Cleveland is like, oh, it's a small town. It's really not um, the greater Cleveland area is probably like many million people. Um, so it's a pretty big area um, and there's a lot of schools. 
uh, lots of universities. Uh, there's a lot of kids out there studying. Um, and uh, it almost, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's nice to see, but um, every few months I hear about another young player uh, who's younger than me and mm, better than me, maybe. <laughs> and they're um, sounding really, really, really good, you know, uh, and I'm not going to name anybody, but there's a few people out there that in, in our area that are really, really slamming. So um, I have high hope for the, um, uh, for other Northeast Ohio talents. Um, and there's quite a few of them out there. So um, I, again, I don't think our issue, our region's issue is not talent. Our region's issue is, um, um, you know, places to, to play and sustain as far as um, making a living. I, to me, um, the days of, and I, uh, there are people doing it, but they really struggle playing seven nights a week uh, for making two, three hundred bucks, you know, and um, that's difficult and it's getting harder and harder to do. So um, uh, hopefully that changes. Hopefully people will want to go out more. And with that, I think there'll be more live music opportunities. But um, I don't really have high hopes there uh, for the for the near future. Um, I think that most people you know, who want to do it, like are supplementing with teaching and <laughs> working at music stores and stuff Pretty like much that. And that's like, all the people. Yeah. Like, that's what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. Or so, they yeah. were smart enough, got a whole completely different other degree mm -hmm. and they do that. Yeah. And then they go to yep. the music. Yep. That's absolutely right. I have another job. I don't talk about it. I don't like to talk about it's it. It's fair. I, I didn't ask you. <laughs> um, but, and, and, um, I, you know, and it it pays for all these lovely things like recordings now, and they're also super, super flexible. So I can leave and come back and do things that I need to do. So, um, but uh, I don't, I'm hoping that that won't always be the case. I have other opportunities out there coming that I'm not going to talk about. But um, however, if, if, if the worst thing were ever happen is that um, I just make all these albums and I put it out there and I stay working at this place, then that's okay. Not the end of the world. So, you know. I mean, you're still able to release your tracks. You're still able to perform. Mm -hmm. I think you're winning right now. Absolutely. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I have a lot of friends of mine that tell me the same thing. So I guess I, grass is always greener on the other side. So. Ah, uh, yes, I agree on that. And we're not trying to make this mm -hmm. a depressing one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I don't want to make anything depressing. Absolutely. That's certainly right. true. But is there a lack of interest of jazz in the youth in your area? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, I, I will say one thing, though. Um, when we play live and uh, we just played a college a couple of weeks ago, a few weeks ago now, um, and um, when we play, the audience, uh, especially younger people, um, really respond to the music. I think, and I've said this many times before, um, I think that the biggest problem is that people are not exposed to it. I don't think it's because that the music has lost its appeal. I think its issue is that People are not exposed to it. I think that they don't hear it and they don't know what it is. Okay, Matthew's um, perfect world. How would Matthew 
inform the public hmm. or in you know well, get them informed I'm, in the music expose it I'm to them. Yeah, I'm trying my best with uh, everything I got going on. I'm trying my best to do my little part and do what I can. Uh, my Cleveland Time label, I um, kind of envision it as like a, a jazz education production company, not really just a record label. And I have, uh, it started with, um, I did an interview with Tom Malone was here, when he was here with Cleveland, which I published in All About Jazz. And I did a video interview with them and that's out. Um, and I did the same thing with Joe Lovano this past summer. Uh, that was a huge, huge interview, two hours. Uh, we were, he lives in New York City um, and he um, uh, was in town for Tri-C Jazz Fest, which is actually a big jazz festival here. Uh, and um, he uh, uh, still has a home here, a uh, family home. He's from Cleveland originally. Uh, so he's a big Cleveland guy. Uh, and uh, he still has a family home here in Eastlake. So, I made arrangements with him and I, I had uh, my video crew there and we sat in his uh, uh, home that has no air conditioning <laughs> in in July and it was really hot and we were sweating really badly, but we, we toughed it out. We did a really, really cool interview for two hours. Um, and so that's going to be coming out uh, in All About Jazz, a written transcript, and then uh, I have a four-part video series that I'll be releasing on the Cleveland Time Records uh, uh, YouTube channel. Um, but I'm going to keep doing that stuff. Um, and uh, I do daily blasts uh, about jazz artists, past and present, you know, just factoids, little stuff on, on social media. That's gotten fairly good response on the, my Cleveland Time uh, uh, channels. So I'm going to keep doing that stuff and I'm going to keep expanding. Um, mm -hmm. I'm hoping that I'm going to find the funding to make a Cleveland jazz documentary. I want to do that. Um, yeah. So, I, I, you okay, know, the production. Because, you know, you might have to. Off the yeah, top Joe of my Lovano head, I'm not would... really think of it, anyone. Oh, yeah. So Joe Lovano is a huge part. Uh, he's probably the biggest one. Now, um, if, uh, if you, um, uh, on All About Jazz, I'm a contributing writer for All About Jazz. So if uh, if you go on All About Jazz and you search Cleveland, you'll find it. Uh, there's uh, Jazz in Cleveland, the, the first article I published with them. Uh, and I talk about the long history of jazz in Cleveland. And, and Cleveland has a huge, huge jazz lineage uh, going back. And uh, Joe Lovano talks about it in his interview with me. Um, but uh, it's got a very, very long jazz lineage. Um, uh albert ayler uh eiler I, I guess is how you pronounce his last name albert eiler um art tatum uh studied here for a long time was here for a long time obviously joe lovano is from here um uh ernie krivta is a local cleveland legend guy but um i think he played with dizzy gillespie and whatnot uh if uh but if you read the article it'll it'll, it'll okay. it's a short article it's actually a fairly short read it's not something i need to um, look up after the show I... yeah yeah absolutely but it goes way way back and um there used to be prior uh to about 1970 there were hundreds of clubs playing jazz here in cleveland so um you know uh charlie parker played here uh many times um uh, uh, Ella Fitzgerald many times, John Coltrane many times. Um, so uh, that goes back, uh, you know, decades and decades. Um, so it's got a, um, while I would say the current uh, state of Cleveland jazz is, um, uh, you know, uh, not probably, 
I, I wouldn't say that um, there's anything too groundbreaking happening right now, but maybe that's true of most places. I don't know. That's but, most uh, places but, in the world. Yeah, yeah. It's so negative. The, <laughs> yeah, but the history, the history is very, very deep here. So, um, so yeah. Uh, and, uh, so I, uh, lots to talk about in a documentary and it would probably be focused mostly on past stuff. Um, but, um, but yeah, uh, so lots to talk about. Okay. Uh, there was a Pittsburgh deck, uh, Pittsburgh jazz documentary that came out, um, some years ago that was really well done. Um, and, um, it's history mirrors Mary very, very much. So, um, that of Cleveland, very similar town, very similar history. Um, and a lot of the same things um, be between those towns. Um, so, yeah. Okay. No problem. So, if you could remove all the barriers and constraints, what project would you do? And who would be on Say that. Say if you that could remove one more all time. the barriers. Yeah. And mm -hmm. all the constrictions. What yeah. type of jazz album would you make? And who would be on it? Or album? Well... I uh, I've already got two more albums planned. I don't want to give I don't want to give too much away. Come on. But uh, so uh, I have some names on my list already, and I'm already going to contact some of those people. Give um, me one, this one. Come on. Oh, okay. So the next record, if I if I literally could pick or choose anybody, it'd be Bruno Mars. I um and and I know that that's that's uh, that's out there dreaming, I suppose. But I envision sort of um uh a real slick, like eighties inspired jazz fusion record and, um, having him do something on it would actually be a lot of fun. I think, um, no, there's a lot of big like jazz artists out there. Um, if we're removing all barriers, I would say Michael Brecker because I'd, you know, he's my absolute favorite. Now, granted, he's not alive anymore, so I suppose that's not possible, but, um, but I think that if there's anybody in time that I could have played with, it would have been Michael for sure. Um, and uh, to um, although to play with Tom um, and and have you know he knew him so well personally that that was it was like sort of my mini version of doing that which was kind of fun for me personally but um, but yeah and uh, Joe Lovano too would be another one I'd really like to play with Joe Lovano at some point um, I know him now a little bit um, in the future I have a record in mind that he actually might fit on really well that's a couple a couple records down the road um I, I'm you never know maybe he'll agree to it now he'll be he'll be a you few years know. older Bruno he's Mars already 70. yeah I, I don't think that one's gonna happen I mean uh, Joe Anderson Park didn't think it was gonna happen you know that <laughs> yeah we'll see I'm not gonna hold my breath okay but, okay um, <laughs> Uh, but I am going to keep reaching out, um, and I have some, a name, some names on my list um, of people that I'm going to reach out to about being on the next record. Um, uh, some of them are friends of Tom's, so, um, you know, uh, and Tom already agreed to do, be on the next album, by the way. He already told me yes, so um, so I know he would be involved. Um, some of those cats aren't getting in, you know, they're getting a little bit older, but... Um, you know, they can still play. So, yeah, no play, right? Yeah. Okay, yeah. well. Matt, tell everyone where to find your album, how to reach out to you, all that good old stuff. Yeah, right on. So, um, the first album, Cleveland Time, um, uh, if you want to purchase a copy, uh, good, I have it on LP, uh, yellow vinyl, by the way. It's super cool. Uh, and um, CD, if you still do that. Does anybody do that anymore? I had to print them for radio. 
Radio still used them, uh, and I had to make them. That's a whole other <laughs> problem I have with that. <laughs> yeah. Just to get your stuff so, on the radio. I'm sorry. Oh, boy. Uh, but you could get uh, MatthewAlec.com. Um, you can fill out the little form, and um, and I'll send you one. And um, uh, it's in all the digital, everything, Apple, iTunes, all that stuff, YouTube. Lots of videos on YouTube, lots and lots of videos on YouTube. And then... Um, uh let's see the new album live at the bop stop with uh tom malone uh december 2nd it comes out um and um that will be in all digital everything just like the other one uh spotify uh itunes um apple music does anybody use apple music i don't use apple music but <laughs> but it's there so if you should want to listen to it and you subscribe to apple music you can listen to it so there you go <laughs> Okay, well, everyone, <laughs> it's good when we have a guest with a sense of humor. Okay, I like that. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, well, so, yeah right? absolutely. We can't be all serious all the time, you know. So, some people who listen to this, I would tell you, there's some people that come on super serious, like you said, yeah, or super sure. PC, like you said. Mm -hmm. So it's always nice sure. when people like you come on. <laughs> well, thank you, thank you so much for having me. It was very nice meeting you, uh, and uh, I appreciate it very much. It, uh, and you'll have to send me a copy when it's out. Yeah. Oh, definitely. And everyone, yeah, <laughs> thanks for listening. Yeah, this is Leander from Improv Exchange. Thank you. Have a good one. Yeah, thanks, man. Have a good one. That's that on jazz. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Improv Exchange. Please subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. Also, please be sure to follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Improv Exchange.